0: So, Raki, why are physical schools reopening now, even though we haven't yet vaccinated our children?
1: So as we've learned during the pandemic, going to physical school is how children and teenagers learn best, right? So even my kids, they're they're totally uh, undergoing online fatigue at the moment. So we all know that every child is different and every child learns best physically. Many children get other vital sources that they need in school. For example, the meal vouchers and and uh, equipment and things like that. And anybody above 12 and currently eligible should register and get the COVID-19 vaccine. There are ongoing trials for vaccines in the below 12 years old. And actually, in fact, just last night, um, FDA, um, sorry, Pfizer has actually announced that uh, they're going to start giving the vaccines for 5 to 11 years old. So that's pretty good and interesting news.
0: Yeah, Um, I saw that coming out, actually, thanks to you. You posted it.
1: Yes, um, physical schools are actually basically reopening because not every child is privileged to get online learning, computers, or even stable Wi-Fi connection. You know, we've all seen pictures of students crowding around a street lamp with one handphone, trying to look at uh, what the teacher is teaching or trying to even get some sort of connection, climbing onto trees and things like that. So not every child is as privileged as some of us in the urban area sitting down in, in a air conditioned room with your personal laptop, your personal table and things like that. So we're looking at the not so privileged lot. Um not every parent can afford to work from home. Think of the daily wages. You know, imagine if your parent is one of those who are on the street selling um nasilama or, you know, the daily, daily sort of thing, or their construction workers, how are they gonna go to work when they're supposed to stay at home to take care of their kids? Mm. Who is supposed to be in school? You know, so they've lost their daily wage income, you've lost their revenue, they have no money to even buy uh, food, which the food was supposed to be from school because they're under the um, food voucher program. You know, mm-hmm. so you're talking about all these sort of kids rather than just the privileged lot. And then don't forget the teachers. Not every teacher is able to cope with online teaching as well. You know, trying to constantly engage with more than 30 students at a yeah. go. And you know, in some private schools where it's just from eight o'clock in the morning right up to three o'clock in the afternoon. It is tiring, it is it is stressful. And it's not a fun job, you know, versus a teacher who has connection with a child in a physical class. Now you've got to constantly look into a screen and decide who's paying attention, who's switched off their screen. Is that child sitting with somebody else? Oh, I've got to think about the sibling. Oh, is the sibling in the same room? You know, so mm. there's so many other factors that are going on. And online teaching is not what teachers were taught in teaching schools. I mean, let's just be very clear about that. Nobody taught right. teachers to do that. And it's something that they had to learn throughout the pandemic, like a lot of other things that we had to do. Now, I'm going to touch a little bit about special needs children. So, when we talk about special needs children, it we have to understand that special needs children are having it 10 times worse. Mm-hmm. It actually takes a lot for these children to learn anything via a 2D image, via online, via mm-hmm. anything that does not involve physical connection. And we have to remember that some of these children have Certain stages of their brain, um, where they, it's what we call brain plasticity. Where if you don't connect with them in those golden periods, those few, first few years of their life, they sort of lose function in these small, small parts of their brain. So it's mm-hmm. very important for the special needs children, those who've got different abilities, to be able to go back to their physical schools um, more so rather than the, the able bodied. I'm also going to touch a little bit about vulnerable children. When you know, don't forget these. Um, Aboriginal children, the ones that are stateless children, the refugee children, mm. you know, all around mm. lot that nobody really talks about. We all talk about our own kids and that's about it, mm. you know. And finally, I'm not going to touch so much about mental health, but we all know that children yes. as well as adults go through mental health anxiety, go through mm-hmm. um, a lot of mental health issues for the fact that they can't go back to school. Not only that, so I had a kid, um, the other day Who was scared To go back to school So she's like Doctor, you know They announced I'm going to go back to school But I don't want to go back to school And I'm like Why? She's like What if I don't have Any more friends? What if they're not there anymore? Right, I see I
2: see okay, right, okay. Yeah. Not so much about the, the the virus itself But okay, I see
1: Not so much of the virus They're not worried They're more worried About the <laughs> anxiety Of going to a new environment And some of us Are changing schools For these kids You know Like suddenly You're in kindergarten Where you're in a happy um, very colorful yeah. space and it's a- exactly form. or you are a standard six kid and then now you're going into form one a totally different new environment so these are the kids that are going through a different sort of um anxiety issue or i would say they're anxious they're undergoing a lot of other sort of Mental health issues, rather than just the usual, the ones that they mention. You know, they're it's depressed. They want to go back to school. They're not doing so well. You know, so I'm just touching a little bit on another aspect of mental health that a lot of us are not actually looking into: the going back to school for kids.
2: Actually, you know what, Doctor Raki you're just saying like the uh, internet may not may not be good, and they they, they may be vulnerable and whatnot. Actually, even for adults, like I'm doing online studying right now. And it's it's a nightmare. I've got a great connection at home. I'm very comfortable at home, but it's still very, very tough. Even as an adult, yeah. I I'm, can imagine that if you're a kid going through this, it must be 10 times as hard.
1: It is. It is. And you try to imagine, you were you in your class. Like There's just three of us, and I'm already finding it difficult for three of us. To <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: the focus, life. right? Yeah,
1: Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. It's all got a best friend in class, and I'm trying to look at my best friend's face. At the same time, trying to look at my teacher trying to teach. And I always keep telling my kids, put their teacher on um, the main uh, main screen. Put the teacher on main screen. But certain apps don't allow that. And it goes to mm-hmm. whoever is speaking. And then mm-hmm. now you've got 30 kids who are unmuting themselves. Teacher, I need to go to the toilet. And then they mute back themselves. Teacher, I want to go and get a snack. You know, then unmute themselves. It's so a perfect storm
2: constantly- of things that can happen. Yeah. It will happen.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's it's an, an assault. Initial. Yes, it's an assault of sensation in the mm. initial Everybody was excited. I've got my own laptop. I've got this, I've got that. And now it's my kids are like, you know, uh, school again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm
2: so done with <laughs> it, right? Yeah.
1: And I'm like, okay. So I'm not gonna push them because I know they're going through what we call online fatigue. And um, not to forget, I eye, eye issues as well have cropped up quite a bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, my kid has been and suffering from that, the sort of headaches coming from the eye strain yes. and stuff. Um yeah. but if we could just Go back and touch on sort of the the virus just for a little while you know um can we talk about the risk of sort of children being exposed to a virus that's moving in terms of how it's spread and now towards airborne with the new variants and stuff what sh- should we be concerned about that
1: okay so moving on from pandemic to endemic i think that's what's being discussed mm, by mm, the ministry mm. of education of health and every minister that wants to say something on on uh, you know media so moving on to living with the virus, that's you know learning to live with the virus. That's basically what endemic means. You want to learn. You want to be able to live with the virus in a sustainable but safe way. So what what we need to do is prioritize safety. That's the number one priority. When you want to reopen schools, safety is the number one priority for these kids, right? Everyone's risk is different. So we need to be able. Is no more kita jaga kita. You know, it's a degree, because you have to think within your whole family unit. You know, mm-hmm. I think um, some of our YBs have been mentioning the travel bubble, uh, the vaccine bubble and all these bubbles. So I call my family the family family unit bubble. You know, so anybody within my own family bubble, I need to be able to, to tell the risk. I need to be able to mitigate the risk. If I have a, a big unit, I have parents, elderly people in my house. If I have a child who's got cancer, who's undergoing chemotherapy, I've got to see my risk, you know, so is it worth, I've got two kids, one who has cancer, one who doesn't, is it worth sending the one who doesn't have cancer to school at the risk of bringing bringing back whatever virus to the other one, you know, so you've got to see the risk within your own family. Of course, you also have to look into other factors, like you have to go back to work, Um, is there no other person that can take care of your kid, you know, these are especially for the younger ones, you know, the preschool preschool ones and all that. Mm. So everybody's risk is different, and we have got to look at that risk on a more, personal basis rather than a blanket rule. Everybody don't go to school. Okay, everybody go to school. I mean that's right. Yeah. That, I think we're done with blanket rule. We have to start moving on towards self-individual risk mitigation so that we can move on to a more sustainable way of life in the new norm. And we do know that children appear less likely than adults to actually have severe illness illnesses, hospitalization, or being admitted to ICU for COVID-19 infection. Um, in fact, lately there was a study done in um, University Malaya that showed that out of the number of transmissions that we had, one percent was the ones that transmitted from school, compared to the other more than ninety percent that was actually due to home transmission. Mm, which means I... the family at home gave it to the kid rather than the kid picked it up from school. And we mm. know that worldwide, you know, let's just look at data worldwide where schools have already been open. Mm. Schools have already been, you know, ours is the only one that's blanket closure. And in fact, there are only 17 countries in the world that are still closing the schools. You know, so why are we not following the other 100 over countries? And we look at that data and we don't seem to see a spike in cases despite the schools being open. You know, so that's something that, you know, is it's a good sign. The fact that if there is a rise in community cases, then there's a way it goes. So which means if you live in a very high prevalent community uh, where the virus load is really high, then your chances of you picking it up from school is probably a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. But if you live in a low prevalence, like most of us are vaccinated in Flang Valley and certain other states in Malaysia, then your risk of getting the disease from school is much more lower. And Mm -hmm. we know that children pick this up much less likely and they are less likely to transfer as well. Okay.
0: So let's talk about sort of, how we get them there. There's been a lot of confusion when it comes to schools reopening, SOPs, current set of guidelines. So, you know, what should we all follow?
1: Okay, so first of all, this was not a rushed reopening. Huh? A lot of people are saying, oh, why we just, you know, within two weeks we came up with this guideline. And so no, this is not a rushed opening. I think all of us stakeholders from various places have been in planning stages since mid of this year We've actually been coming up with guidelines so it's been planning for vi- for many, many months. And we're actually looking into improving the currently available Ministry of Education guidelines that was published in February this year. So before the Delta hit us, we already had guidelines of school reopening in February. Right. And um, we were just looking at how to improvise it once we knew that it went from contact to airborne. You know, so basically including uh, safe building policies, safe classroom policies, um, safe environment policies. What are the activities that are probably better off in an environment where you don't want to create so much of aerosol spread? You know, like you want to cut down on singing rather than, you know, and talking loudly. You don't want to have wall choirs. You don't want to have concerts that are involved for school, you know? So all those came into place so that we could add on to the already filled guidelines and which are available on the Ministry of Education website. So we're looking at all these Ministry of Education guidelines and trying to improvise it. So when YB Dr. Dr. Razi had actually announced the reopening of schooling in stages according to various national recovery plans. And this is beginning 3rd October, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: basically, in summary, there are four phases um, according to the, our national recovery plan. So phase one is when all schools are closed. Um, nobody's allowed to start anything. And I don't think there are, many, there are many states that are in phase one at the moment. So now we're looking more at phase two, phase three. Phase 2 is where all exam-going classes will restart and all kindergartens, daycare or preschools that are under the Ministry of Education uh, will also reopen. Phase 3 is where all schools will reopen in stages um, on a two-weekly to one-monthly basis with the reintroduction of standard 1 to 3 and standard 4 to 6. You know, the classes will be, will be divided um, and private schools are allowed to reopen with 50% capacity and which increases to 70% in two weeks and then finally full capacity once uh, get into the hang of things. But
2: aren't doing phase- that, that two-group thing now as well, the mm-hmm. group A, group B thing right now? So it's just half capacity. Like week plus. swapping. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's the confusing part, you know. So let me just go back to phase four, just the last phase. All schools will reopen but will change according to the risk assessment that is done on a regular basis, which means suddenly if there's some new ways, like, a new uh, variant, you know, some, I don't know, Godzilla variant, you know, and then you want to really shut down everything. So you've got to risk mitigate. Right. So that's where everything is open again. And we just go that. So that's the sustainable one. Um, and class capacity, according to YB's announcement, would be reduced to 50% and there will be weekly rotation. So what they will do is sort of like, okay, so that's it. Just say you have a standard one class of 40 kids. So they will divide this into 20 kids, 20 kids. So group A will be 20. The other group, uh, group B will be 20. And these children will rotate on a weekly basis. Group A, the first 20, will, will come to school in the first week. Group B will come to school in the week after. So that's what he meant by a, right, a right. weekly basis. But right. the exception for this would be, of course, small schools. So we do have small schools in uh, rural areas that have less than 150 children. Um, you have certain host- uh, hostels can't do that. So if you're in a fully ashrama school, we don't follow this 50% thing. I mean, there's no way where you're going to put the other kids Correct, in the yeah. hostel. Right. No it's the same place anyways,
2: right? same
1: yeah. place anyways. So they have other method, mitigation methods for hostels as well. Um, then you have the special needs school which can run at full capacity. There will be no uh, switching of uh, rotations. Uh, and you have the preschools and certain international schools. So these are the exceptions to those who will have to run on a weekly basis because they have equipment and capacity that can actually um, sustain these children and um, accommodate the children in a better way.
2: All right. So in this case, um, it's like I a flow have- if, you, if you have... It's like a little flow chart. In case anything happens, go back to the previous one and then keep uh,
1: following it yes. again. Is it? Yes, correct, correct. So the other thing he also mentioned was that school sessions will start in March next year. So just say you have a six-year-old kid that's going to be seven, going to be joining standard one. You will start standard one in March next year.
0: You Not won't start January. in January. Yes.
1: Right. And if you have, yeah, I can see JD's face going confused. Yeah, staggering start, basically. But this is not for private or international schools. It's only for uh, it's only for the government schools. Okay. Right, because private and international have their own um, capacity, and most of them have less less children in class, and they have already been doing full form online learning compared to um, certain government schools. So that's why they they will continue with their January to the regular schedule that they have um the other aspect to schooling that will change is school uniforms are no longer compulsory i think this is very good because it's just adding on yeah yay yes it is just adding on more expenditure like to you know the, the daily wage parents you know like even for me i bought school uniforms again and again and none of them can fit anything anymore so it's i mean- like
0: I'm in the same position last year when everything was opening up. It's like okay, everything's going back to normal. I yeah. had to buy a full new set because he'd grown a couple yeah. of inches. And yes. right now, if school were to start tomorrow, he can't fit any of them. You know, he's yeah. grown again exponentially. And, so and you don't buy one set; you buy like
1: probably two or three sets. And all that three set is considered yep. you no know, gone. So so that's a good thing. So there's no compulsion to wear uniforms. Um, and they they will not be. Penalised if they are not able to attend. So remember when I mentioned the personal risk basis. So now if you have an elderly parent at home, a grandparent or, you know, someone that's above 65 with multiple comorbidities, um, you might want to say, OK, I want to hold first sending my kids to school. The child will not be penalized um, by anybody. If they can't go to school, we will just try to be able to accommodate some form of hybrid learning or the teacher will sort of accommodate some form of learning to carry on until the end of okay. the year.
0: Um- in your opinion would there be any other system or thing to add or to implement uh in terms of back-to-school SOPs
1: we have to make it simpler just explaining all of that was you know quite a well, handful. confusing and
0: to I, me I, even I was like huh
2: you know yeah
1: <laughs> so it's really confusing for anybody so I sat through the whole press conference for one hour plus um and I gave a briefing before and after and it The first thing that came to mind was this is confusing for a lot of people and I think we just need to make it simpler, less confusing to understand, easier for parents, for grandparents because we've got to take into consideration that some grandkids are being taken care of by their grandparents to make it easier for them. We should not attach, this is my personal opinion, we should not attach school reopenings to recovery phases. You know, right. I think it should be the most sustainable long-term plan in place rather than, okay, so if we go back to this space and we move on to this space, it's going to be very confusing to to monitor, to maintain. The schools are going to be utterly confused. There should be a more sustainable way of reopening schools for I think a long-term, state. right? Long-term, yes. Mm. And I also like to say that we should decentralize certain decision-making. You know, like something that may be urgent shouldn't be. We do, shouldn't have to wait for politicians or policies to be changed before we can make those decisions. We should decentralize certain decisions, certain decisions to certain schools. You know, let the school management be able to make small, small decisions. You know, so that it's not you constantly have to wait for, for somebody up there somewhere to say something before things can happen. Oh, I see. Empowering
2: uh, the the school itself to actually make the decision because Autonomous, they know what's going on yeah. on the
1: ground level. That's Yes, I'm not trying to take away power from the people in power, but I'm just trying to say empower the ones who are at a level. I mean, we've got really, uh, when I went for the meeting with all these boobasas and principals and all that, you know, they hold authority. They've been in this business for many, many years. You've got Toko pendidikan, and you've got all these educational, um, you know, people that we look up to. So are, these are the people that we should be able to, you know, so in all schools, We have some of these people who are manning the schools, the head principal, the deputy principal, the discipline teacher. We should be able to empower some schools to be able to make small small decisions. I'm not saying huge decisions, but small decisions so that they can carry on with the opening and closing of school, with risk mitigation, what to do if you come in contact. And I think all those need, need to decentralize some decision making at some point.
0: Okay, um, what would be your simplistic checklist then for parents to get children ready for the new Norman school?
1: I think we've got to prep them. Remember when I mentioned about the anxious kids going back to school? So some of them are very happy that they don't want to go to school. But (laughs) I see so many children that are really excited because they're like, you know, I'm going to see you. Like my kids are making plans with with their friends. I'm going to see you next month. You know, I'm going to see you in a couple of days. Hey, you know, we're going to meet each other. What are you going to wear? You know, now there's no uniform. <laughs> we have that batch of kids who are extremely excited. Albeit their parents are hugely anxious, you know. So you've got to take into consideration that kids um, are super excited. So they're going to they're gonna snack more. They're going to sleep less because they're excited. So you've got to make sure your kids have enough rest, enough sleep, and prep them into a routine. Because you've got another, I think, one, two weeks before we, we restart back school for some of the children them into a routine all of us have gone haywire with our routines nobody wakes up at six o'clock in the morning anymore to catch a bus to school everybody's up at like maybe 8 30 to catch the 8 45 class you know or eight forty-five 45 on the dot to switch on the camera you know and then blur out the background so so we want to make sure they get back into some sort of schedule um help for the younger ones help them prep with their books because they may have lost touch with which books are important which books uh, I'm supposed to bring? Is there some sort of, you know, um, class schedule that you're supposed to follow? So talk to the teachers, for parents, talk to the teachers and find out, is it going to be exactly how the online classes work? Or is it going to be a little bit of a change so that there's some sort of transition for those children to get back in school? Um, I also feel that for certain kids, you've got to prep them. You've got to talk to them. You've got to explain to them what the latest, what is happening around the world why are we sending them back to school because some are scared because not all but some are scared because of covid 19 and all that so talk to them about the data talk to them about um, certain things that you can at an age-appropriate level you know so if you've got a 16 17 year old teenager who's a bit worried and wants to know about the risk and things like that talk to them as an adult you know because they're almost there and they, they understand what's going on around the world they can google everybody even a 5 year old kid can google and find out covid-19 oh nasty picture you've even got nasty cartoons on youtube that show what's going on you yeah. so talk to your kids and prep them um, and you know just to show that the data from moh ministry of education ministry of health from january to may 2021 there were only this is january to may yeah, 2.5 cases 2.5% of the cases were attributed to sexually You know, so it's a very, very small amount and we now know that when you follow the public health measures that are in place, especially universal masking, uh, frequent hand washing, um, maintaining your distances between three to six feet, one to two meters or whatever you want. So these are all measures that have been put in place to reduce this risk even further. Um, Of course, do not scare these kids, you know, don't tell them, oh, you know, how many kids have died? Uh, You know, how many kids have this and that, you know, you can get COVID-19 and die. Yes, you can get it, but you have to realize that mortality rate in Malaysia for children who died of COVID-19 is 0.02%. It is not a number that we can forget.